0: The economy is crumbling, they say it's at its day. The workers are all rumbling, revolutions on the way. But I could never be a Marxist, it comes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You see come up to Paul Newell, he went with Danny Baker. you silly disco songs and reading Melody Baker. i see it down at Dunkirk. Welcome to Radical, a podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music and football. I'm your host, Kas Mudde. My guest today is Daphne Halikiyopoulou. Daphne is professor in the Department of Political Science and International Relations at the University of Reading in England. She has published extensively on nationalism and far-right politics in Europe, and her latest book, co-authored with Sofia Vasilopoulou of York University, is The Golden Dawn's National Solution, Explaining the Rise of the Far-Right in Greece, which was published by Palgrave in 2015. Welcome to the podcast, Daphne.
1: Hi, Cass. Thanks for having me.
0: I'll start with my standard introductory questions. First, what was the first sports team you ever supported?
1: Okay, that would be Panathinaikos, which is one of the Athens football teams. But it's been a long time, so I've, I've left Greece for a long while, and I, I don't really follow that anymore. I think mm. I'm more interested in, uh, in countries playing the Euro Championships or World Cup.
0: Do you then support Greece? No,
1: I support England and Every Time They Lose.
0: Which I actually enjoy. But (laughs) moving straight along, what is your favorite political song?
1: Okay, so that would have to be Bella Ciao. And not so much for the content, but I think that it has a really good rhythm and I really like the lyrics. Funnily enough, I quite enjoy the Spanish version, which is a bit less known, but a bit more lyric.
0: Right and became very well known because of this Netflix series, The Heist. That is true. And finally, what is your favorite political book?
1: So this is a difficult one because I think I have many favorite political books. But if I would have to choose one, I'd go for Dr. Zhivago, actually. And that is because it features one of the most interesting characters I have seen in literature, and that is... Pasha Antipov, I think. We see him initially in the book. He's this very uh, sort of ideologue, revolutionary who believes in the cause. And then we see him quite a while later. He's become this really bitter man who's been in a way betrayed by the cause. And he's become this person who pillages villages and murders women and children. And I think it's a really interesting character because it shows what an ideology gone wrong or what a cause gone wrong can do to a person.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. And actually, I've seen that happen quite a lot with particularly people in radical politics in the early stages. So let's move to the far right in Greece. Greece has a long history of far right politics. One of the first far right parties in the European Parliament was the National Political Union or EPEN, which was already represented in Brussels in 1984 what are the ideological and organizational roots of the contemporary Greek far-right?
1: Do you mean the Golden Dawn, or do you mean all in the contemporary Greek far-right movements? A post-dictatorship. Okay. Post-dictatorship. So I would say that that is nationalism. in the way that Greek nationalism is formed is a a sort of an ethnic or what you call nativism, Mm -hmm. really a more ethnic or biological type of nationalism that sees the Greek nation as an organic entity. So there is a blood element to that. Greeks are bound by something, by common descent, by something that they are born with, they are kin in a way. And I think that this kind of nationalism binds most of the far-right parties or movements or groups in Greece since the post-dictatorship era. But I think where the Golden Dawn differs in that is precisely because of its attempt to show that it is a movement from below. So it tried at least to get rid of the hierarchical nature of the other far-right groups that we had so far.
0: Golden Dawn really became known I would say, even within Greece, but definitely outside of Greece in 2012, like when it broke through and got into Parliament. But it had existed at that point in time already for almost three decades. Can you walk us through the early history of Golden Dawn up until the point of 2012?
1: Yes. In sum, the Golden Dawn was created as a bulletin and as a grassroots movement that operated mainly on the streets. So the members were essentially street soldiers, I even remember growing up when I was quite a young girl and we were walking down the streets of Athens and, oh, the golden dawn was coming. So it was basically these young men, angry young men mm-hmm. with clubs or the weapons. And they were essentially just operating on the streets. They
0: right, did... Back again.
1: Like a gang, exactly. And they did try to have a political presence a bit, but it was always quite minimal. So they did run, not every year, I think, not every election, but they did run. And they got 0.00 something. So they they were mainly grassroots. And at the time, I remember that they were mainly a gang that attempted to hurt left-wing activists. So there's a long history of that, of of how they had uh, violent, many violent incidents with uh, left-wing activists in the past.
0: Right. So rather the left-wing than immigrants
1: at the time, I'd say
0: yes. And I think it's important for listeners to understand that the Greek left has a very radical and in part violent tradition, both left and anarchist. And in that sense, it was a little bit similar to Italy, for example, where you had a very radical and mobilized and violent left and right. Now, there is a lot of debate about what Golden Dawn is. Are they a neo-Nazi party? Are they a neo-fascist party? Or are they more like a radical right party like the FBO in Austria or the National Front?
1: I would classify the Golden Dawn quite confidently as a neo-Nazi party. And the reason for this is not just because they found loads of Nazi paraphernalia in their homes when um, you know when the trial started or when they got indicted. But if you actually look at um, what they say, so Sophia, my colleague and I, we went through indeed thousands of their online materials when we wrote the book. And It was very obvious from the way that they said it and their writings and their speeches. They espouse everything that Nazism is about, right? So a very strong state. So this cleansing idea that you need to basically get rid of immigrants and violence is okay. The street soldier ideas, also this fascist idea that we are a movement from below and the leader does not represent the people but embodies the people. So I think that the Golden Dawn, if you look at the way it's organized and the way that it presents itself, it espouses every single fascist and specifically Nazi principle.
0: And this, of course, then leads to the question, how can a neo-Nazi party like Golden Dawn make it into parliament of a country which actually suffered quite harshly at the hands of the Nazis during the occupation? How is that possible?
1: Yeah, that's the million dollar question in a way. It's a really interesting puzzle, precisely as you say, and this country experienced Nazi atrocities. And the Golden Dawn is an aberration. If you look around the rest of Europe, yes, we have far-right parties improving their electoral performance, but these have been more the radical right variety that have tried to distance themselves from fascism. So here you have a party that blatantly says, we are fascist, you know, we espouse Nazi principles. So how come? I think it's a combination of the opportunities that were created at the societal level, and I'll explain that in a minute, uh, on the one hand, and then on the other, the actual narrative of the Golden Dawn, which was attractive precisely because of its nationalism. Mm -hmm. So if I can put this in a nutshell, the crisis played a key role. But I think what we've tried to show in our work is that it wasn't just the economic crisis. So, you know, we've compared with other countries that have had an economic crisis. So look at Spain, for example, unemployment rates quite similar to Greece, or look at Portugal. Bailout countries that suffered a lot from economic malaise, they did not develop a similar kind of party. Why? Because I think the crisis in Greece culminated into a crisis of democracy and trust. So what is different in Greece is that the entire political system became associated with this type of decay. It betrayed, if you like, the people and trust declined dramatically. So there was a vacuum there. The voters punished the establishment and when we say the establishment we don't just mean one of the mainstream and put in its place another of the mainstream parties we mean the entire political party system crumbled so there was a big opportunity there and on the other hand what the golden dawn did is that it took this narrative of whatever fascist nazi propaganda but it pinned it on greek nationalism which actually resonates quite a lot with the people because the nationalist narrative is forward in our school system. It's also something that some mainstream parties also espouse, as in the Greek nation should have cohesion, as in we are bound by immutable characteristics, etc., etc. So it put forward this narrative saying that there is a lot of decay and now the Greek nation must sort of regenerate from its ashes, you know, classic yes. Nazi. Yes, and A lot of people went for that, went for that because they also wanted to put in a protest vote and say, you know what, we will vote for this party because the others have proven to be worse. I I remember when uh, the Golden Dawn was first elected and he, Mikhail Olyakos, the the leader, he came into parliament and he did a Nazi salute. Mm -hmm. So the media immediately attacked him and said, how can you do this Nazi salute with your hands? And he came out and he said, well, you know, these hands are clean. Maybe we salute like this, but our hands are clean and they're not linked with corruption and we haven't done to the system, you know, we are pure. Right. And that went a long way.
0: And it's important to remind listeners of the fact that Greece had a majority of people voting for either populist parties or extremist parties of both the left and the right in 2015. And talking about that, since the breakthrough of 2012, Golden Dawn did not take over Greece as Varoufakis had anticipated. But they pretty stable around 6 7% as a kind of subcultural party, similar to the Greek Communist Party, Kakaou. But then in 2019, it dropped to 2.9% and lost parliamentary representation. Why was that?
1: If you look at the rise of the Golden Dawn as a product. Of the crisis, then its decline can also be seen as, you know, the culmination of things improving. So in 2019, there was a lot of newspaper articles, etc. about the return to normalities. Cities, I lost the election. New Democracy, the centre-right party won the election. So it could be seen as part of this return to normality though we could see it another way as well. So the Golden Dawn did lose, but there were other parties. So the Greek Solution, which is another, not Nazi, but another far-right party with a vocal leader. So it's not that this latent demand has disappeared completely, and I think that is important to note. So we do have more technocratic center-right politics at the moment. But there is a basis there and there is potential for protest. There is potential for nationalism. I think this is very important. It has not gone away.
0: Right. Um, And I want to talk about that and the relationship of Golden Dawn to some of the other more radical right parties later. But in what way did the court case against Golden Dawn play a role here? And perhaps you can give a short overview of this court case, which allegedly next month there will finally be a ruling on this. So what is this court case about and how has it affected Golden Dawn as a party and perhaps as an electoral force?
1: Yeah, I was reminded by Facebook actually today that it is the seven-year anniversary today of the murder of Pavlos Fisas, who is the left-wing activist that was killed by the Golden Dawn. This is how the whole trial started. Now, it always struck me that since it got into parliament, very often their members and even the MPs themselves got engaged into violent action against immigrants. So there was another case of the murder of an immigrant that sort of was quietened down. And it struck me that nothing ever happened legally. With Pablo's visas. this changed. There was a blatant like open event of this, the murder of this person, and then he had to go to trial. The trial has been going on for a very long time. So it's very protracted. Did it play a role? I'm not so sure. For example, in the polls, they were doing consistently well, whereas they were under trial and they didn't campaign and they did really well in the previous election. So I'm not sure how effective that has been. The Golden Dawn is also under trial for, I think it's maintaining a criminal organization, grievous bodily harm, keeping all this Nazi paraphernalia, a long, long range of illegal activities that have to do with violence. On the one hand, it's good that the trial is going on. At the same time, it's taken way too long. And I really hope that this indictment will go through.
0: So what do you expect as the ruling?
1: As you would know, political scientists are not good at reading the future. So I'd I'd rather not say on Facebook, I don't know if you have seen, there's this little caption you can put on your profile picture that says they are not innocent Nazis in jail. So there is a big movement also from the people trying to get the courts to make the Golden Dawn face up to their illegal activities. So I would be surprised if they were acquitted. But at the same time, you never know in this world.
0: Yeah, and it's important to note that Golden Dawn cannot really be banned. Greek law doesn't allow political parties to be banned. So even if the ruling comes down harsh it will mostly affect individuals within the party. There is a side case to that, which has been almost completely ignored in international media, but I believe also in Greek media. And that is that in November 2013, two Golden Dawn members were killed and one was injured in a professional drive-by killing in Athens. I remember seeing the video, which is pretty gruesome, that case has later been claimed by an unknown, seemingly radical left group. But as far as I know, nothing else ever came out of that.
1: Now I'm, I'm recalling this case myself. So the short answer is I don't know. But that probably means that if there has been a case, it's been really shut down because nothing like that is in the media. or So I'm not sure what came out of that.
0: I'm not going to make any friends about this. But I think that the way that the Greek state, under both Syriza and now New Democracy, has dealt with both cases, both against Golden Dawn and about this killing, has been very dubious. Golden Dawn has been on trial for, what, over five or six years. Its whole parliamentary faction at one point in time was in jail when they were suspected. And so for almost five years, you have this dark cloud over you, and you're kind of presumed guilty. And leaving aside whether they're the neo-Nazi party or a Green Party, from a rule of law point of view, that's quite problematic. As I think it's quite problematic that much of Greek society and international society doesn't care that neo-Nazis are being killed in the street. Again, from a rule of law point of view, that is pretty significant. Moreover, it, of course, has to be seen within a very long, violent tradition of radical left and and anarchists within Greece. So that was my little rant. Before Golden Dawn entered Parliament in 2012, Greece had another far-right party in Parliament, and even shortly in government, Popular Orthodox Rally or Laos. As you said before, in 2019, Golden Dawn was replaced in Parliament by another far-right party, more radical right party, Greek Solution. What is the relationship between Golden Dawn and parties like Laos and Greek Solution? Do they share an electorate? Do they share members? Do they share demonstrations?
1: Probably share an electorate, but they're also quite different, right? So the Golden Dawn was a party that started off as a violent group. They're very much on the extreme. The others are sort of more nationalist factions that come out of the right of new democracy, if you like, or from the right of the center right. Now, that's always a very qualified distinction that political scientists make. So, for example, in the book with Sophia, we did find that the most likely Golden Dawn supporter is a disillusioned right wing voter. Mm-hmm. And that means that they share an electorate, right? So if you are somebody who is on the right wing of the political spectrum and you're a bit unhappy or discontent with the mainstream right, these are the kinds of parties you may vote for. From some very preliminary work that we have done, we can see that some of the Golden Dawn voters went to Greek solution. So they have affinities there. But at the same time, I do think that, that there is a big difference and that the golden dawn was... I don't even know if that is necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, right? Because I think so. The golden dawn is extreme, but in the way that no other party would ever cooperate with it. Right. So they did a lot of damage. And that I will always say that it's damaging. And it, it seems very disconcerting if it's your country to know that a percentage of seven or even nine in the European Parliament elections have voted for these Nazis. It, it's worrying. But at the same time, that's it. They wouldn't influence policy within a coalition. No other party would want to play in their arena. The others, maybe they appear less extreme, but at the same time they share some of these exclusionary nationalist ideals and they're easier to play ball with. And I'm not saying they're benign.
0: So what is the relationship between the Greek far right in general and the mainstream right, notably the governing party, New Democracy, like New Democracy has some prominent politicians who used to be leading members of far right groups, including Laos, but also Makis Foridis, who played a major role in some, I would say, extreme right groups. And then there were rumors about connections between one of the major advisors of the former ND leader Samaras and Golden Dawn.
1: Yeah, so I'd say that like every other centre-right or even centre-left or or everything, a a political party is a big group and it has factions in it, if you like. So New Democracy is a party that has more centrist liberal elements, but it's also a party that has many harsher right-wing elements and also many nationalist elements within it. This is no secret. Indeed, there is a lot of talk about all these people. You said, I don't want to name any names. I think this is a case generally, especially in countries that are very polarized. So I understand that Partido Popular, for example, in Spain is a similar kind of party. And there was a lot of arguments when we were working on the book comparing with Spain as to why the far right was not successful there. So some other people could say that the only reason that some countries don't have the far right is because the center right encompasses people with these ideas. So, yes, I think it's the case very much. And it is the case that even in this Greek government now that has tried very hard to put on a face of technocratic, progressive centre-right, there are people, exactly the ones you name, that are very much on the right. And these ideas are especially expressed when it comes to the role of the police, when it comes to immigrants and how they should be treated, and when it comes to law and order more broadly.
0: So what has been the response of the right as well as the far right to the recent fire in Moira and the refugee camp at Lesbos? Has this been an issue? Has this ignited anti-immigrant sentiments or has this actually ignited more a pro-immigrant response? Not from the far right, obviously.
1: (laughs) Clearly not pro-immigrant from the far right. But from what I have seen, it's just essentially the accentuation where everybody stands. They just came out and talked more blatantly about it. So obviously those with anti-immigrant or right-wing ideas came out quite staunchly and said, oh, you know, we have these people in here and what we're going to do and we need to get them out. They're threatening, blah, blah. And then those in favor, they also said, oh, but we have to look at the human side of it and it's not okay. So I don't think that it's been a catalyst for any change. It's just been everybody just goes out and says what they really believe.
0: Greek football and basketball are well known for their ultra scenes. What role does the Greek far right play within Greek ultra scene?
1: Remember I told you in the beginning that when we used to walk around, there were Golden Dawn supporters and they were walking on the streets, very often linked to a football match. So there is hooliganism actually involved. And in fact, much of the left-wing, right-wing violence that we have talked about has been ignited or triggered by a particular football game. So I do think that this is something that happens, and it continues to happen. Maybe not necessarily branded by the party name, right. but I do think this, this kind of hooliganism or this kind of football violence does indeed exist.
0: So finally, what is the most important misperception about Golden Dawn?
1: That is a very difficult question to ask because I would like to clarify that misperception by whom?
0: International media or the domestic debate?
1: I think in the domestic debate, at least, the biggest misperception, I would say, is that they somehow didn't emphasize how problematic what was going on was. I think the misperception was that they said, okay... We can have this in our political scene. We can vote for this because, okay, it's violent, but that's not so tragic because here we have a crisis and we can have some radical politics to show that we won't take it because Greeks don't stand up to this kind of problem. I think we didn't really appreciate what it represents, which is not just the Golden Dawn. As you said earlier, the party itself could be indicted, it can change its name tomorrow and become the New Dawn. But if we don't eradicate politics like that, if we don't understand that this type of polarization is really detrimental for society, I think that is something we will keep seeing recurring. I think the misperception in the international media is that they very hastily came out when the Golden Dawn didn't get into Parliament and said that, oh, populism is over in Greece. It is the first case of the death of populism. I think that is not only a misrepresentation, but I think it's dangerous to believe that because then we become quite appeased and we don't see that the roots of what happened, they're still there. We can see this phenomenon again.
0: Right. And I should have asked this earlier. I'm not totally sure how you see this, but Golden Dawn itself is an extreme right party and as such fundamentally different from radical right parties like Vlaams Belang or Front National. However, would you think that it performed a similar function within the Greek political system in the argument that the type of people that voted for Golden Dawn are similar type of people with similar type of motivations as people who voted previously in Greece for Laos and now for Greek solution, and in France would vote for Le Pen. So in the sense that while there is a big difference at the party level, there's not necessarily a big difference at the voter level.
1: Yes. The very short answer is yes, I do. I think that there is an affinity between these voters, perhaps not completely. There is a very strong anti-establishment element there that I think is also there in the rest of Europe. So the voters might be more alike than the party. But then again, I do want to say emphasize what I said earlier. Again, the function is different if you look at its effect in the political system, right? So I think the Golden Dawn with its extremity has had less of the possibility to cooperate than some of these other masked, more legitimate-looking, far-right nationalists in Europe.
0: Yeah, and that's a very important distinction to make. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Daphne.
1: Thank you for having me. If
0: you want to know more about Daphne Alikiopoulou, you can follow her on Twitter at Halikiopoulou, H-A-L-I-K-I-O-P-O-U-L-O-U. And her book, The Golden Dawn's National Solution, explaining the rise of the far-right in Greece, which she co-authored with Sofia Vasilopoulou, was published by Paul Grave in 2015. Thank you for listening to Radical. The music is from the Nuts with the classic song Karl Marx supported Millwall. I want to thank Jack Fernandez for helping me with the editing. And I'm your host, Cas Mudde. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to Radical on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate us. Till the next time. The economy is crumbling. They say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Paul Newell. He went with Danny Baker. See you silly disco songs and rainy melody maker. I see him down the dunker playing with his beard. No wonder that that's Capricorn turned out a little weird.